now, more tips with your host, Rebecca Rogers. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. Thank you so much for joining us here at Lifestyle Improvement today for part two of our interview with Joanne Lara. Miss Lara is an expert in the field of movement therapy. She is a professional dancer turned educator that has used her passion for movement and music to enrich the population with autism and founded the Autism Movement Therapy Organization. She is an adjunct professor at National University. She was the technical advisor for Kiefer Sutherland's Fox TV show, Touch, and produced the documentary for PBS called Generation A, Portraits of Autism and the Arts for Individuals with Autism. Miss Lara is a columnist for Autism Asperger's Digest and is the author of the book, Autism Movement Therapy Method, Waking Up the Brain, a practical guide for the use of movement and music to stimulate brain function that we have featured on our program before. She has come back to tell us about her newest book, Teaching Pre-Employment Skills to 14 to 17 year olds, The Autism Works Now Method. And now here is our host, Rebecca Rogers, and our guest, Joanne Lara. What about three skills in general that you think would be important for families to make sure that their kids are aware of? when they go for an interview, when they have difficulties with the social skills? All right. Well, difficulties with interviews and, you know, if we pinpoint just specifically that one is the resume needs to be one page. What we were seeing, because we're going into our third year with the program, Autism Works Now. So now we're working out all the kinks. We're really, you know, we really got it now. Right. And all of a sudden we get a lot of very accomplished Autistics coming, having a degree in city planning, having a year and a half master's program under their belt at you know a university, but then they deliver. They bring will bring your resume. It'd be three pages long. Uh, no, you know people don't want to see that. HR wants to see specifics in a one page. That's it. So you got to narrow it down, make it concise. How to make it jump out at somebody? What you've done, even if it's what you feel is is a minimal job, you've done it. You're successful at it. That's what you highlight. So in the resume, one page. When you go in, and, well, getting the interview is a whole other process now. Because now in this country, all the big corporations want online fill-out applications. So you've got to be tech savvy. Tech savvy. You've got to be tech savvy. So you need to know Google Docs. You need to be able to use Google Maps because you got to get to the interview. You need to get to the interview early, not late. You need to show up on time. You need to be able to walk in, present yourself like an individual who wants the job and why should they hire you? That is the, you know, that's the, when, when we go into HR, because part of our Autism Works Now program is one time a month we go on a field trip. So we've gone to HR at Fox. We've been to FX Studios. We've been to Best Buy, Mass Mutual, LA Parent. It goes on and on because now we're going into our third year. So we've been to 24 different field trips. And HR will tell you the last question is, why should I hire you? That's hard for anyone. But we're teaching our kids and candidates to have the answer to that question because they say, I don't know. And that's it. You're dead in the water. It's done. 
your resume goes in the trash. Because if you can't give that person who's interviewing you one reason to hire you, then you're not in the running. You ju- you you just lost your positioning in the race. <laughs> so what kind of internal work, especially for the autistic community, do you help them do so that they can find an answer to that that would be something they're comfortable with? Good question. And that's, you know, look, that requires good self-esteem. You know, that requires people telling you you're good at that. You see, they don't get that. They don't get it in the home. They don't get it in the community. And they don't get it in school. So when somebody asks them that, it's like they don't they didn't build that house. We have to teach them to go back and build a house with confidence. And that requires pre-K, kinder, elementary school settings to say, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to be? Because they're not asking these kids this. And then at 18 or 22, somebody comes around and goes, well, time to work. It's like a relatively new concept for them. What? Work? Oh, I'll just be at the computer in my back room. That's i.e. the school to couch, which is really basically school to computer um, and just all day long on the computer because we haven't prepared them to work. It's our responsibility. We're the ones that we should be pointing the finger at. Parents, administrators and teachers, shame on you for not preparing this, the, the kids for, for work, just like you do all the other kids, all your other neurotypical kids. You say, hey, what do you want to be? Oh, look at her, man. She's going to be a lawyer and go to Harvard. You just watch. What about your other kid? Oh, well, he likes Thomas the Train. And then the child is there looking up, waiting to see what the parent's going to say about him. And that's what he gets. He likes Thomas the Train. That's not a message you want to send. You want to send the message you want to send is he loves train. You know what? I bet someday he's going to work at a train station. Good. Now there's a Somebody has a plan for me. You see, no one has a plan for these guys. Just like me with the kids sitting out teaching reading. Nobody had a plan for them. Well, they'd already lost that that hope that they were going to read years ago when they saw them enter into a K, pre-K or kinder setting. Well, they're never going to be able to read. We're just going to basically babysit and call what I call holding tank these kids all the way through an academic setting. No. Absolutely not. Not kids with autism. These kids have splintered skill sets that are fabulous. That's what we have to build on. So for the parent, I say, you know what? Find that skill set, build on it, and don't let it just be the computer. As Temple will say, Temple gets real, real upset about that. They should only be on the computer for a certain period of time. And she's right. The par- are, And then when they go, well, I can't get them off. And she says, are you the parent? And that's the very same thing I say. Who's the parent? If you if you can't get them off, who can? Because you're the parent and you need to set up how long can you stay on the computer? And then what do you do after? And what are those two choices for you after? Because after those two choices, I want to see you either reading, I want to see you doing something that's going to develop another skill set. And that personal exploration helps to start pretty early, correct? Absolutely. should start. I mean, we should be giving these kids jobs. I go into these homes and I'm like, wait a minute, why isn't he setting the table? Why isn't he taking out the trash? Why does his bedroom look like that? Hey, wait a minute. We have to expect accountability because then we're going to push him. Then the parents are like, well, I don't know what he's going to do for a job, but I'm hoping he's going to get one. Guess what? He's probably not. 
Because when you go to a job, there's an accountability piece. You got to arrive on time and come. You've got to do your work and you've got to chip in and maybe take out the trash in the in the lunchroom area. There are skill sets that ha- that equate to accountability that are like 50 percent of keeping that job. And if the parent isn't asking them to be accountable for anything at home, then why the heck are they, they don't have a skill set to take to the job? So what I hear you saying is that pre-employment skills, yes, they have to be reinforced at school, but they start at home. Absolutely do start at home. They start with the parent and the parent expecting accountability for them. And you shouldn't have a room where you don't have a bed made. The bed should be made before you go down to the stairs to get your backpack to go out the door to go to school. And you should be helping with the with making your breakfast. You should be toasting your own toast, making your own cereal, getting your own bowl out. You see, we do all this for these guys. And then we expect them to get a job. Well, you don't take your mom to work with you, do you? That's correct. So, And that's really powerful because what you're saying, what I hear you say is that at home, you give them the capacity to be successful at completing tasks. That then helps them create a, an image. I am able to do this, that, and the other. And that, they take that with them when they go to an interview. As they, you know, are asked, what can you give us? Like you were talking about. That's going to come out of the things that they know already they're capable of accomplishing. Right. And I want to read you some of our, you know, content, table of content. So you have an idea of like what we're expecting. Um, Understanding autism works now method. The importance of work. What is meaningful work? Why are friends important in a job search? How are individuals with autism affected in their ability in finding and keeping a job? How is autism treated and how can the basis of their treatment assist individuals with autism in the workplace? Everything should be geared about jobs. We can't make that a big aha surprise moment. Well, now you're 22 or now you're 18 and what do you want to do? And, you know, I, I, I also I also have to say that the school system needs to take responsibility too, not just the parents. The ITP process is embedded in the IEP. The ITP is Individualized Transition Plan. At 14 in many states, but by 16 is a federal law. These kids should be discussing in their IEP because they should be at the IEP. I believe kids should be at their IEP when they are in middle school. They should be talking about, and the IEP team comes together to say, what is this person's job? What is this person's life going to look like when they transition out of high school? That's what it's for. Federal government put it in place there. Uh, 22 years ago, what is it going to look like residentially? Where are they going to live? First question, where are they going to live? At their parents, supported living, uh, residential, or on their own? That's easy. What is their social community going to look like? What are they going to be a part of? Where? What are their likes and dislikes? Not in a job setting. Like, do they like bingo and want to go there? Do they like to bowl and need to find a bowling group that they can be part of? Do they like to paint and want to be part of an art program? Do they love theater and we need to find a theater group for them? Do they love yoga or dance or what what do they love that's not work, not education, not academic? And expound upon it. And then the very last one is what is the employment going to look like for this individual? This is your host, Rebecca. 
And now we will take a short break, and we will be right back with more ideas on lifestyle improvement. As a caregiver, you spend your days caring for the needs of someone else. But what are you doing to help yourself? In our Caregiver Survival 101 workshop, we teach you the self-help skills that will empower you to be healthier and more productive. Do you feel tired, overwhelmed, have difficulty sleeping? Do you feel isolated? All this could be signs of caregiver stress. Chronic stress can impact your health adversely and ultimately cause irreversible and unwanted physical problems. Take a step towards your own personal care. A healthy caregiver is a better caregiver. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to do what is needed to stay healthy today. Go to www.caregiversurvival101.com. That again is www.caregiversurvival101.com. And discover how we can help you help yourself. Or call 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101. Caregiver Survival 101. Because care starts with you. What if there was a way to help your struggling child perform better academically? Would you pick up the phone and call? Lysol Improvement Occupational Therapy Services in Puyallup, Washington, supports wellness and optimal educational performance. Instead of just reteaching information, we endeavor to identify the possible root causes for your child's learning difficulties. We offer targeted testing to assist in the creation of an individualized plan and provide you with the brain training tools that can help improve academic performance. Visit our website at www.lifestyleimprovement.com or give us a call today at 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101, for an initial free phone consultation. Lifestyle Improvement Occupational Therapy. We're ready to partner with parents and to help your child succeed. And then the very last one is, what is the employment going to look like for this individual? I didn't make this up. This just comes from federal government, IDEA, ITP plan. And that one piece that says, what is their employment going to look like? I'm here to tell you that people look at that in an IEP meeting. They go, what do you want to do when you graduate? Well, I'm thinking I'd like to be a computer programmer. Great. Computer programmer. That's finished. We're done with all that ITP stuff. Let's move on. When in fact, this should be the focus of an IEP, that there there are assessment tools that should be given. I teach transitioning at National University. I teach that course. Very big on the student's uh, assessment tools that should be used for by the student, given to the student by the teacher. One that's used a lot in the LA Unified is COPS, C-O-P-S. It's a, it's a very extensive uh, test. They, someone helps them with it. There's other assessments that are used for moderate to severe uh, individuals, but an assessment tool, a formal assessment tool needs to be used. That formal assessment tool is going to tell us where their skill set lies. And so we're not going to accept I want to be a a computer programmer and move on. We're going to say, guess what? You might want to be a computer graphic artist, but this is the skill set that you need developed from 14 to 18 to 22, that's going to allow you to do that. 
because chances are, if you go back and that kid that's 14 or 15 wants to be the computer graphic guy, and now he's 30 years old, he's been wanting to be it since he was, you know, 15. He's been wanting to be it for 15 years. He's not it. He's not it. So we have to say, guess what? That's not enough. We need a formal assessment tool. We need to know where those where your challenges lie. And then we need to go set about giving you that in the public school system to make you successful. There you go. And the reason that I just think that that's a great, just basically full circle is because we started with vocational programs. And it doesn't matter how much you evaluate if the vocational programs are not available, you're not going to go anywhere. So I know in so many states, they evaluate functional skills, but that's where it stays, because there's no availability to actually provide uh, the opportunities for the vocational skills. So it comes back to that again, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And interestingly enough, I you know I write for Autism Asperger's Digest and um, I'm a columnist for them. And they gave me an assignment in March of last year, I think it was. And they were like, Joanne, we want you to go out and figure out what, about that ITP process and why it's not working. And you know, this was when I was part of Hillary's team. And I actually got taken up to Sue Swenson like uh, on the phone with Sue Swenson, who is Secretary of Special Education EdGov in Washington. And somebody gave me her phone number and we set up a call and I got to spend like two hours with her on the phone, you know, like pinch me. Um, these are people making a, a platform protocol, you know, or at least have a say in it. And we, you know, I said, what do you think it is? And I said, I, she said, we both came to the conclusion that the parents knew nothing about the ITP process. They didn't know what it was for. It was in place, but no one was adhering to it. And I, I, I agreed. And she said, if there's one thing we can do, it's educate the parents on the ITP process. I just emailed her when it came out. Said, guess what? I took your words to heart. I wrote a book and it's out. And we want the parents to know about the ITP process and what they need to be. And it's part of that, what they need to be doing in these IEP meetings for job. But Going back to during that time when they asked me at Autism Asperger's Digest to write an article on transitioning um, and they titled it why uh, when I submitted, you know, I took six months is the point um, because I was like, I don't know why. I just know there's a big breakdown, but I don't know why. You know, that's not an article. I have to figure out why and then substantiate my thesis and then say, what are we going to do about it and how are we going to change it? And it's uh, and the title of the article is when the ITP process breaks down and doesn't work for you, basically. And so I started doing a lot of due diligence work and went back and went, well, why were vocational centers and training taken out in the first place? Because when I went to school in Tampa, Florida in the 60s and 70s, we had vocational training. You could go vocational route. What happened? Where did it go? Because it used to be around. So then what I found was in 2000, when Bush came into office and education was the first topic of conversation for him, he he put in place something called No Child Left Behind. And No Child Left Behind, one of the stipulations was highly qualified educators. So what they were doing was getting rid of people that didn't have credentials, who had been hanging around, never finishing their credentials, but still teaching on emergency credentials. I give them that. There was something to that I had seen in the in the public school system. A lot of teachers who never finished their credentials and were still teaching. And I thought, well, no, if you want to be a teacher, there's an accountability piece for you. You need to go get that credential. Take all the tests all of us took, the five-hour 
norm reference desk and and then and and get your credential. But on the other hand, what happened was 1917 is when this country put in place vocational centers. Why? Because people started going to college at the turn of the century. In 1917, people were beginning to think about academic routes, not vocational routes. And the country said, ha ha, the guys running the country in EdGov said, uh-oh, we're not going to have enough skilled labor force. We're not going to have blue collar workers. We're going to lose them to the school system, which is good, to academia. But we need to keep vocational training. We need to start vocational centers so we can teach the blue collar workers to do a, 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 a trade. It was called a trade, a skill trade. And, and it'll be a win-win because they'll have a skilled trade. They're not going to go an academic route, exactly what I'm talking about now with the gang kids. And, and they're going to be able to buy their homes and have families and get married and be successful. Well, that stayed in place until Bush because no child left behind. What happened was those vocational educators didn't have credentials. They were artisans. They were wonderful woodworkers. They were great metal workers. They were people that knew about horticulture and plants and how to keep them alive and grow them. They didn't have that credential. So what happened was the vocational centers were full of people with no credentials. And so they went by the wayside because as they tenured out, they didn't replace them. Your heart, it's hard to find a person that's skill set in bakery that has a teaching credential. So all of a sudden they got pushed by the wayside and we don't see them anymore. And that's a general problem, isn't it? Yes, it is. There's already, it's already a problem. We already don't have plumbers, electrician, or uh, people that build homes. All these, this skill set trade that we could be teaching in middle and high school, we don't have those workers. They're like, uh, where are the workers? Hello, we've got these jobs. And nobody's stepping up to the plate. What I find interesting is that, yes, we need the vocational programs. That needs support financially and from parents. Based on what I'm hearing, that the jobs, the companies out there, the bottom dollar is pretty much what's important. And they're not as much valuing, supporting kids that have special needs. Look, uh, medical coding. There's a huge need for these guys. They make great money. You got to be taught that skill set. And now people don't want to pay you to train on the job because they're paying minimum wage. So they're paying minimum wage. They're going to take this guy over here that's already done it, knows how to do it. And I don't have to waste a lot, waste a lot of time and hours on training him. That's a trade skill set we could be teaching in a vocational school, in a middle and a high school. All these kids were losing to gangs, all these kids with disabilities. They're very capable of coding. And many of our kids with autism, as you know, are, are number savant. They love to do that. So all day and work with numbers and code them in. Perfect job for our kids. Microsoft wants our kids because they're looking for the next Temple Grandin who's going to change the way computers and laptops work. They're looking for the geniuses. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. 
as a caregiver, you spend your days caring for the needs of someone else. But what are you doing to help yourself? In our Caregiver Survival 101 workshop, we teach you the self-help skills that will empower you to be healthier and more productive. Do you feel tired, overwhelmed, have difficulty sleeping? Do you feel isolated? All this could be signs of caregiver stress. Chronic stress can impact your health adversely and ultimately cause irreversible and unwanted physical problems. Take a step towards your own personal care. A healthy caregiver is a better caregiver. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to do what is needed to stay healthy today. Go to www.caregiversurvival101.com. That again is www.caregiversurvival101.com. And discover how we can help you help yourself. Or call 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877 Extension 101. Caregiver Survival 101. Because care starts with you. Thank you so much for joining us here at Lifestyle Improvement today for part two of our interview with Joanne Lara. Miss Lara is an expert in the field of movement therapy. She is a professional dancer turned educator that has used her passion for movement and music to enrich the population with autism and founded the Autism Movement Therapy Organization. She is an adjunct professor at National University. She was the technical advisor for Kiefer Sutherland's Fox TV show, Touch, and produced the documentary for PBS called Generation A, Portraits of Autism and the Arts for Individuals with Autism. Miss Lara is a columnist for Autism Asperger's Digest and is the author of the book Autism Movement Therapy Method, Waking Up the Brain, a practical guide for the use of movement and music to stimulate brain function that we have featured on our program before. She has come back to tell us about her newest book, Teaching Pre-Employment Skills to 14 to 17 year olds, The Autism Works Now Method. Don't forget to join us again next Sunday morning at 7.30 for part three of our interview with Joanne Lara.